0: Welcome back to the Pilgrim Faith Podcast, where human wonder fuels the quest for Christian wisdom. Dale and I are back to have a conversation, and one that we've been having for the last couple of weeks, that centers around our our mutual, in some ways, rediscovery of reading, which probably sounds a bit weird for a podcast, where we've often Mm -hmm. interviewed authors of books. But one of the things going on in Dale and I's life this year in our respective vocations, you know, I've had some circumstantial things in life, and I've also taken on a lot more responsibility with the Davenert Institute. And Dale has been doing an enormous amount in his life. And one of the things that that does is you're in your late 30s and early 40s, as your life is kind of filling out a lot, is that you you can often lose the capacity to do some basic things that you have taken for granted for 10 or 15 years, like reading. Yeah. And even over the summer, I was... I was talking to a a really good speaker we had at Davenant, who works in the field of law, and he was talking about how he talks to colleagues about how they have stopped doing research, how they have so much administrative and committee work and this kind of work and that kind of work that the piece of them that really gets stimulated and energized through research is atrophied because they find themselves not even reading or kind of keeping up within a a particular field. And so Dale and I really wanted to talk about the experience of kind of feeling that way, uh, but then also rediscovering and really centralizing and strategizing the importance for finding something like a, 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 a simple pleasure of reading. And so, yeah, this is that's basically our conversation. Dale, uh, I suppose, uh, you know, it's, it's hit us both differently, but uh, yeah. yeah, I'll pass it on to you.
1: Yeah, um, well, I think what we've been talking about, it really just kind of, it didn't come as a um, direct inquiry into, hey, we're not reading. Are you reading a lot or am I reading? It was more like we were talking about the things that we were reading about more. And it's like, oh, we're reading more again. Uh, And I know I've had to, within my daily schedule, so typically um, I'm a slave to uh, a a daily planner. Uh, so I have like items that go on the list that I must do the next day. And those are, like you said, largely administrative or, uh, you know, you're putting out a fire over here, you're, you're preempting a fire over here. Right. And, and there was a level of guilt that I would feel if I went in my office and closed my door and moved the, my chair over into the corner and read a book. And it was often a book that was directly contributing to what I'm doing in life so it's not like and it's not like i was just reading for the sake of reading i was using the books that i was reading to help me maximize my efficiency and uh I, i thought to myself i have not read the chronicles of narnia in a lot of years and we teach it here at the school so let me start reading the Chronicles of Narnia again. And so I got all the audibles and now I'll I'll carve out time to sit in my office and listen to the Chronicles of Narnia. Even though it's not directly making me, you know, more efficient at my duties, it is making me um, more, uh, oftentimes what C.S. Lewis does, working his magic on you, he makes you more solid, uh, more of a human. And that's more important in some ways than making sure you're operating at full efficiency. So I think like the rediscovery of reading is actually the ability to not feel guilty that you're finding pleasure in reading again, because there's nothing more important than understanding yourself in light of these narratives that you kind of, you know, the imagination opens up uh, and you put yourself into. so yeah, and I could, uh, well, I'll stop there. But uh, there, one other book that I've been just thinking about and reading and talking about all year for the last two years really has been Boethius's Consolation of Philosophy. And it's gone from um, an academic inquiry in order to teach students into like a deeply devotional book actually for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, those those sort of things is just what you and I have been been talking about so
0: yeah uh yeah your comment on, on on reading and it's you know when reading is even relevant for your job and, and lewis i think throughout his corpus has this interesting distinction between uh something like use versus enjoyment meaning like when we yeah. go and we we kind of use a pleasure for the sake of another thing but then there's this kind of pure enjoyment of a thing to just like you even to you know as you put it read for the sake of reading uh, or, to enjoy a glass of wine for the sake of just what's good in a glass of wine, and those sorts of things. And one of the really fascinating things I've picked up on as I've been reading Lewis over the last year, is how he how he identifies simple pleasures as a particular site of spiritual warfare. And so, in the screw tape letters mm. I, I hadn't read for a really long time, uh, in the Screwtape Letters, he portrays this person as entering, going for a walk that he wanted to go on. The, the, the person that's supposed to be tempted, uh, uh, Screwtape is, is uh, uh, rebuking Wormwood uh, because Wormwood has allowed his, his his subject to undergo a simple pleasure to read a book just because they wanted to read it, not because it was for the sake of being cool or being in the inner ring or you know making it with those guys or something like that, and to go on a walk where he wanted to go for a walk just because he's enjoyed it, because what those things do is attach you to a wider, they they attach you to the world and they attach you to to reality in very basic ways. And it's a, often in those contexts of clarity, of attachment and that sort of thing that we begin to see what we're really doing. Oh, okay. Now it's clear to me that like, you know, I'm actually doing these things over here for these reasons and it, and it actually can help yeah. your temptations. And so, and this isn't different really from the, the, the role that rest plays in the Christian tradition and in the scriptures, that part of the humility of of because, as you put it, what you said is just right. What happens at a certain stage is there's so many things in a day. There's so many, so many emails to answer. There's so many uh, people asking for a thing or whatever, depending, you know, depending on what your life circumstances uh, that you can always feel on. And it's very, very important to say I'm a limited person in a body with a limited body and actually just as I need food, quite literally yes. to, for my spiritual life and my body life, my embodied life. So also is it actually important to pause and to genuinely rest and enjoy, to genuinely enjoy something of the created world. Uh, that's and, and, yeah. and that energizes even though you're not doing it just to get the energy back to get work done, the simple pleasure, the simple enjoyment, it nevertheless does have the gift and effect of sending you back into your labor in a way where you're energized and you're re-inspired. And that last thing I'll say there, um, I think what really easily happens at a certain stage of development in in a life project is that you lose the kind of inspiration that got you into it in the first place because you're just doing it so much. Again, all, all that kind of kind of that kind of datum. You know, when you start the Davenant project or for us, you know, you're on old RI, you're in your late 20s or something, you're on an email group, you're talking to all the people, but your life is such that you can invest kind of energy into conversation and read a lot, go places. And then maybe you get to a stage where you're giving more. Uh, you're less the tutor, to, you're, you're less the mentee, and you're more the mentor. But as a mentor, yeah. it's important to always remain a mentee of the world, uh, of yes. your students, of, of other professors, and just of reality in general. And to stay in a space where you actually remain inspired and reading, what reading for pleasure, in a sense, is for somebody in a vocation like ours, for, certainly, uh, is a space where you get mentally inspired. Uh, because you're just, that's interesting to my mind, simply, simply speaking, yes. interesting to my mind. And so then the, the wheels start to get greased and they, they move with more energy now.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that it's like mental floss, uh, when you've got a good, healthy balance of simple pleasures and duties that um, are part of your vocation. Uh, that's really a balanced and healthy lifestyle. Uh, if, you know, the workaholic is just as bad as the alcoholic, uh, it's still a, it's still a holicism, (laughs) right? Um, And I think that we're more tempted to do that. And I mean, we could talk about that maybe a little bit later, but the clock and um, this division of the days into hours and minutes and seconds has something to do with that. And also the economy that we sort of grew up in in America has something to do with that. But you said something that I want to um, sort of riff off of, and I want to read uh, something from St. Augustine's Confessions about um, enjoying the, the created things. So Augustine in uh, book um, four of the Confession says this, if physical objects give you pleasure... Praise God for them and return love to their Maker, lest in the things that please you you displease Him. If souls please you, they are being loved in God, for they also are mutable and acquire stability by being established in Him. Otherwise, they go their way and perish. In Him, therefore, they are loved. So, seized what souls you can take with you to Him, and say to them, "Him we love." he made these things and is not uh and is not far distant for he did not create and depart the things derived from him have their being in him look where he is wherever there is a taste of truth uh and i think what um augustine is getting at actually uh, boethius does the same thing when he talks about using creaturely created goods to ping the mind up to consider the source from whence the created good comes which is the ultimate good right and this is just our tradition it's like in the simple movements and rhythms of life you're just always encountering if a thing is here if it has being uh then it is the being is donated by god and therefore Tell, it ministers to us in that way, in whatever way the telos of that created thing was meant to minister to us about its creator, right? Yep. And I think stories, stories are a, a unique because it's a creation of the created. Uh, and in that sense, it's like the, we're most like God when we are creating, when we're writing, when we're talking, when we're thinking, when we're speaking. Uh, we are co-creators with god in that capacity as image bearers and to receive the wisdom of another is a pleasure on its own and it's one of the highest pleasures that we can get i mean this is what you this is like with the whole this was this is monastic life the the monastic life was like hey guys guess what we're out uh we're gonna go over here and we're like gonna grow carrots and we're gonna read and we're gonna pray and that's gonna be our whole life and when you talk to people about that it's like doesn't that sound amazing it's like yeah (laughs) or even the thought of uh sitting in my bed when it's a you know i live in florida so we have tropic weather so whenever we get these big afternoon storms that roll through the idea, just the thought of sitting in my bed and enjoying a couple pages of a really good book is the same sort of psychological movement that I go through when I think about eating a really well-prepared meal, uh, which is to also say something about the you know, creative genius that we, that we can just take ordinary things and put them together and then enjoy them uh, for our growth. Uh, you know, you said something the other night when you and I were talking, it's like, I, I imagine that's what golf is for you. Uh, golf is like, because Joe and I were talking about setting setting, goal, setting um, uh, goal lines to run to and then to rest. So it's like, our lives are becoming increasingly busy. I'm 40 next year, Joe's 41, 42 next year, right? Nope, or are you yeah. gonna be 40? Yeah, yeah. 42, yeah. So, so we're at like the pinnacle. We're at the height of our life, really. This is when you've got a, you've got, you know, several decades behind you, and the wisdom that you've received from that, and you can cast that wisdom in some imaginative way forward and try to try to prevent things that went bad in the previous several decades. Um, so you're just operating with a lot more foresight and wisdom, uh, but we're also more busy than we've ever been. And yeah. so it's extremely important to set goals to say, I'm going to work until I cross that goal line and then I'm not doing anything anymore. Uh, and that might be, I'm going to answer five emails. I'm going to talk to whoever I got to talk to. And then from 1230 to 130, I'm going to read my book and it doesn't matter what book. And I'm not selecting the book for any other reason that I enjoy to read that book. Yeah. Uh, last thing. Last thing I really will say is like there are some cultures, and maybe this is like part of a larger discussion on natural law, natural theology. Um, there are some cultures that build these breaks in every day to their work, to their economic life. Central and S- South America. There are some cultures that literally have siestas in the middle of the day, <laughs> where yep. you like have a big meal and you lay down and sleep for an hour and then you go back to work. Yeah. um so just tying all these things in with the idea of rest and the and the enjoyment of the simple simple pleasures of life that end up being the most refreshing and deeply profound and the most profound things of life are the simplest things in life
0: in a lot of yeah. ways that's right yeah, it's interesting you mentioned kind of the the monastic model and you also talked about the clock because one of the one of the kind of the the trippy things you can find if you do sort of a history of technology and a sort there's a kind of a commonplace prop when people teach the history of technology is that the clock, uh, the clock is this incredibly influential piece of technology in the modern order, like without, you know, the, the the clock where you really do see 60 minutes and you measure seconds and we begin to measure time that way. Without the invention of clocks, you, you can't really do that very well. So the clock, like quite literally the material object of a clock is a very important invention, but they're mostly invented in the monasteries. Uh, because Mm -hmm. in the monasteries that is how you'd order prayer time so 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 much of the history the early history of the clock is a is a is a prayer life that is nevertheless ordered in such a rigorous way that of course you know people people might get sick or whatever but the nevertheless there is this thing that kind of resonates with us the idea of like a you know a community of people kind of thinking about the most important things and planning food and living in a kind of communal community communal context that's really appealing to a lot of people and one of the one of a a recent book a couple of recent books i think even written on you know what the priesthood of believers really meant very often we think kind of clergy laity. And what we did was kind of get rid of get rid of monkhood and just focus on the lady. But there's another way in which you could speak about the monkification of all believers. In other words, you can speak about you can speak about everybody in their vocation as ordering their life around a community, not in the way, hopefully not in the way that's kind of like around this kind of kind of odd, maybe ultimately not very human degree of clock time. But nevertheless, mm. where a life is is ordered around, the, you know, the, the 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 church's prayer life, you know, the liturgy, a lot of the, you know prayer book, the the ordering of a community around the seasons of a prayer book or something like that might be an instance of, of thinking about what the monkification of all, of, of an ordinary life uh, uh, might look like. Um, yeah, yeah um, I, that's a really an important question, and I and I, I don't really have all the answers here about exactly what is the healthy the healthy human relationship to time, because I think you're correct that on the one hand, we, 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 we relate to time really as a set of a million units within which we're trying to accomplish these other units on another register. And it's very unclear to me that that's healthy ultimately for a civilization. There's always certain people that will do very well in, in that kind of system. But it's but the, yeah. I'd say the mass, vast majority of people in a subterranean way probably are quite affected by that degree of 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 um yeah, but by, by that style, I guess you might say, of relationship to time. And I I don't necessarily know what to do about that. And yet it seems to me that whatever the ultimate movement for toward healthy civilization looks like. Uh, even if it doesn't mean we look like the folks who take siestas or whatever, uh, it nevertheless does look like a culture that values, like genuinely values the the, the rhythm of Sabbath. uh it yeah. Sabbaths really right in all of the right. way which that means within a day, within a week, within a month, within a year. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And I think that uh, um, you know Protestants in particular, we have the phrase Protestant work ethic, uh, which is like you work six days and you rest one, you know, like that's, and that's normally, that's typically used uh, in sort of conservative reform circles uh, to say, if you're wasting time, and there is such thing as wasting time, so don't hear me sort of trying to justify, I'm certainly not justifying laziness, which would be a sin, which would be a, you know, Dealing with your time in unwise ways, not stewarding the time that God has given you well. Right. But I think that there there can also be simultaneously this movement where it's like, well, okay, labor for six so I can rest for one. That means that every moment of the six must be in labor towards a thing. Uh, and we there's there's no short amount of things that we can labor toward, right? Like, right. did I read the book with my son? Did I go for the walk with my wife? Uh, did I mow the lawn? Am I, you know, like a million things? And another part, another thing that you and I have been talking about, Joe, is how uh, I have an I have a bunch of things in my life that I just do every day, right? Like I wake up at at the same time every morning and then I drink a cup of coffee uh and then I read my bible and then I get a uh, I get a uh, um uh, body armor drink to hydrate, right? And I'll, I'll get two of those on my way into the office. And it's like, I have all these things that I do every day um, that are almost like crutches, not crutches, they're not crutches, but they're, they're habits. They're just my habits. And without those things, I would feel sort of naked, right? And right. I think that, that ends up becoming the measurement of whether or not we are actually stewarding our time well is if we hit all of these things that we've put into our life um so any break from that feels like you're wasting your time and therefore you should feel bad so there's a level of guilt that sits in even if you're spending that time right. uh thinking you know i mean I, I would i well let me finish that point no, because go ahead. i was going to go on to I was going to go on to say, part of what we do at the school is we talk about this being a center of contemplation. Oh. I want this space to be a space where we disconnect from the screaming notifications sh- and streaming data of the modern world. And we come here to think. And that's all we do, contemplate. It's a return to the contemplative life in the modern world. So we're not you know, denying it. And I think that we need to start creating more spaces like that. Right. But, w- but in our personal life, we can create spaces like that if we would just start to relate to the world less as um, productive cogs in the movement of a market economy, uh, and and think of ourselves more as a sort of um, imaginative creature that should be seizing on. Uh, um, Spontaneity and looking for serendipity and having the freedom of the soul to sort of like get out of all the normal stuff and sit down and just enjoy waves lapping up on a beach for an hour with no other alter. There's like, I'm not doing that to rest so I can go back to the thing. I'm doing that because I want to do that and I enjoy doing that. It's kind of like what you're saying with a glass of wine. What do you have a glass of wine for? Well, it's because I want to enjoy a glass of wine, right? Um, So I don't don't have any of the answers, but I do think that at least what's been going on recently, I think in both of our lives, because we're so busy, is an intentional pursuit of fully enjoying simple pleasures, because otherwise we're going to go crazy. so yeah
0: yeah yeah that's a. Uh, I i think that's all very very helpful um one of the things i think that's uh crucial to point out in this context is that very often when we feel that that anxiety that my goodness i need to do more because because you ha- you can have a life where there's always more that you could be doing within a day um And that can feel like you're being active in some way that you're, you're, you know, you're an actor, but really like what winds up happening, I think is that you, you feel like a passenger in your own life. Actually, Mm -hmm. you're under the tyranny of the inbox. You're under the tyranny of having to get, you you know, all of these uh, markers in your own mind done, even when they they're not necessarily of particular consequence. And I think this is partially something in our society that, we're probably not quite designed to have 15 messages coming from this inbox and 10 messages from that inbox and 12 messages from that inbox. Because in our brain, those are all people. So that's like, imagine how overwhelming it is if 37 people in a day say something to you, and then you have your life <laughs> and the body, the real world, where you might have 15 people in a day that need something from you or whatever. And so okay. in a sense, we've set up a world for ourselves that I'm not sure is very healthy in, in one sense, like the method, they're efficient, and it saves a bunch of time. But in terms of what it does to our kind of social psyche or something like that, I suspect we're, we're stretching ourselves thin. And then when you're trying to keep up with all of that, you're just a passenger. Uh, you mm-hmm. wind up being just a passenger. And part of what happens when you say, no, I'm not going to live that way, is you're actually being active. Uh, it's taking mm-hmm. the sensation is more like, yeah, be, you know, having an activity in your life. And even the way you, you kind of narrate that to yourself, you talked about the imagination. And I think really uh, part of really, really being inside of reality is waking up from deep illusions like it's an illusion to live in a world where what you have to do is keep up with all of these external things you do need to be responsible and a good member and faithful to your word and all those things uh but you also need to really conceive of yourself as like adam in the garden like your life is your free dominion uh, and it's not a it's a dominion you share you share dominion over the world with everybody else who also is an Adam in the garden in their garden, the garden of their mm-hmm. life, co- Dominion with them and all that sort of thing. Nevertheless, life has to be approached and felt to be that way even and what you do then, and this is another thing you and I have been talking about a lot, what you do then is go back to your tasks. uh you're able to go back to your tasks and and you're able to encounter them not as... Uh, You're able to, I I think, reconnect with something such that when you go back to your uh, your tasks, they then aren't just this avalanche of things uh, relative to which I'm a passenger. Actually, I really am approaching them and choosing to do each one of them with with my freedom, with the dominion that God has given me in my little corner of the sandbox of the universe, uh, if that makes any sense. And I think, yeah, it yeah, that, that gives you a whole, that just gives you a different attitude toward those aspects of life where you are moving in, in those ways.
1: Yeah, was it Kelly Capic wrote the book, um, You're Only Human. Did you read that?
0: I didn't, no, but I, I think oh. you read it to me.
1: Yeah, yeah, you got to pick the book up. It's brilliant. But he just basically talks about the goodness of finitude. Um, we are created finite creatures and that's not arbitrary or accidental. It's on purpose because finitudeness is good for us, right? Um, And I think that that's what we're sort of talking about is this, what does it mean to be a finite creature? And what does it mean to enjoy that finitude? uh, Given that there are responsibilities placed on us um, in order to survive, basically. And really what we're talking about is our, um, the, it's smelling, Jordan Peterson. I forget which rule it is. Whenever you see a cat, stop and pet it. Same principle as like stop and smell the roses, right? Stop and enjoy what is around you because everything around you is deeply, deeply significant and profound in and of itself upon consideration. Uh, you know, you, I don't know if you've ever heard this saying, but it's like uh, only boring people are bored. Have you ever heard this? Mm hmm. Yep. it's
0: often told. Yeah, there's like no kids, such thing like, as being bored. Only boring people. I say that twice right, right. all the time. every Me time, too. yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And I think the
1: and and it might be a little bit overstating the case, yeah. but like if I were to really steelman it and say I'm going to prove, I you could just point at anything and say, have you considered what this this acorn? Have you considered that acorn? Like truly consider the acorn, and if you haven't, begin now and see how you're not. You know, see what that does to your for your boredom. Uh, now our attention spans are all messed up in the modern world, but I think just uh, pausing to ask a a, pro, a question about the profundity of the mundane is what we're talking about because it's the taking pleasure in the very simple ordinary things everybody wants maybe part of this and i don't want to give us too far astray here Um, but maybe part of this is like celebrity culture where we think that the only meaningful life is one that's like celebrated under the lights or something or having renown that's actually that's what boethius is talking about the whole time he's like what's the happy life is it where you're popular where you have power where you've got money friends people that like you and he says all of those are deceptive and limited because they the pursuit of them is not happy. If I'm if I'm pursuing money, then the pursuit is not happiness. It's it's hard, and then the when I obtain it, the thought is that it's fleeting. So therefore, I'm not happy even when I have it because I know it will go away. And Boethius' whole thing is like you've got to grab onto something that never dies. And the first, the very first thing that you're aware of is your own soul. My own soul is immortal and then that pings the mind up just like everything else just like a good steak pings the mind up or a donut or whatever and i think like books in particular um, do this because it's like while you're reading it you're tumbling down various holes that are exploring the phenomena of being you're in someone else's head and so like every person is a cosmos and they write themselves. They, they write part of that, and you get to like enter into that space and be together with that person, at least imaginatively. Um, and that's got to be healthy because, in some sense, you are participating in the being of another when you're reading a book, uh, which is interesting. Maybe we'll start a book yeah. club called uh, the Perichoresis.
0: Perichoretic, uh <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, right, That's right. Yeah. Well, last last thing I'll say. Um, uh one thing i i i I appreciate more and more is that it really is it really is as lewis portrays it a spiritual battle i think to like this sounds like oh this is insightful that's going to be easy to do who doesn't want to enjoy something uh and it it could be You know, it's surprising to me because your whole mind and your whole body and your whole imagination might be trained in a different way of approaching these things. And so even if you desire to go do something, all of your embodied mental and emotional and psychological and spiritual habits are loudly and fastly and forcefully in a different direction. And one of the things you really do have to be able to tell your body and your mind and your soul and all of those things is you're in a state of lying. Uh, we've talked about this. I I think you, you, you've said this to me, I think last night, uh, you, you really do have to be able to say the thing, whether to somebody else when they're feeling something like this, or to yourself, when you're feeling something like this, you're actually living in a lie. And I'm not saying that to make you feel bad. I'm saying that to you Mm -hmm. to release you. Like it's relieving to stare at a lie in the face and say, I am living by a lie. And, And it's true. Like everybody that has a nervous breakdown, um, you know, when people have nervous breakdowns and they and they you know lose it and they you know can't go to work for a week or something like that, and then they come back to their lives. Inevitably, what they all say is it was kind of shocking how little of a big deal that was. It's kind of shocking yeah. how many situations just solve themselves. It's kind of shocking how many of these emails actually, if you didn't answer them, the world didn't fall apart. But uh, we've trained ourselves to feel that way all the time. Uh, and it and it takes um, yeah, I think it takes a kind of warfare. Uh, it takes actually naming a lie and slaying mm-hmm. the lie in a sense and in a weird way, walking by faith that you can go do this mm-hmm. and you'll be okay and getting your body even uh, to believe that.
1: yeah, I think your um your um allusion to or or your citation of screw tape is right. i I have felt. And maybe it's been like two or three years. It's weird because Joe and I's life is lives are so similar in a lot of ways, but just also very different. Uh, but we're just well, maybe because we spend so much time together talking. There's just a bunch of points of connection. Uh, but the last several years, I think for both of us, has been hard on a number of layers. Um, and what it feels like is like you almost can't catch your breath like there are days where I'll just be sitting there and it's like hard to like, I'm like, am I breathing? Like I'll think I'm like, am I breathing. Okay. And then it starts messing up. I'm like <sighs> and it's like even <laughs> breathing is hard. Yes. Um, and I don't know. And I'm, you know, figuring out what that is, but I think you're right. I think that Jesus says, uh, that his burden is easy and his yoke is light. Uh, we are freed from the bondage of sin, um, but but we're still under the sun and it's still hard in as far as we can understand what that means, right? Like we're not going to get out of here alive. We're not going to get out of this thing better off than Jesus who like was perfect and then got tortured and murdered. Right. So, you know, <laughs> life, life is hard. Um, but I think that there is something that's like poking the devil in the eye when you can just chill, like chill. And, and for me, it's like, I love to cook and, and golfing also. But for me, it's like cutting an onion and then taking a whole bunch of different ingredients and like cooking it and then tasting it during that hour, hour and a half, however long it is I cook. And I've got music that plays or I'm listening to a podcast. It's like chill. Um, there, I think that is spiritual warfare. I think it's like, I think it's a big screw you to the devil when you can just enjoy being alive, and chill. Yes, brother. <laughs> yes, brother. Which is very apropos because we're going into Christmas, and that's this right. is the time where people should chill. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yep. So that's all I got. Anything else? Nope. Good. All right, my brother. Uh, Well, as always, guys, you can head over to uh, the Davenant Institute's uh, YouTube page and find all of our other stuff. We're also uh, wherever you can um, get podcasts. So um, look us up, download, share, send to your family members. Uh, Chill out this Christmas. Relax and enjoy it. Yeah. And um, yeah, Joe, I love
0: you, brother. Love you too, man.
1: And we'll see you guys next time.
0: See ya.